Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep, that sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus, it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill to use technology wisely, and to live a more sustainable life. I'm Commissioner Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters. Great having you along today. My co-host, as always, Casey Boyce from Decatur. Casey, how's it going? Hey, top of the morning to you, Tim. Casey, we're back uh, this week. Uh, going to talk to more guys who have been down under. Uh, we had Saul on last week from Australia, as I'm told it's pronounced, and I learned a lot about energy there. Uh, Casey, I mean, you work in states across America and study energy worldwide. Were you surprised to hear some of the things that, that he said about how cheap solar was down there? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been watching uh, what's going on in Australia. I'm not going to try the proper pronunciation here, Tim, but I've been watching what's going on down there and it, some really fascinating stuff. So, uh, you know, really delighted to have a couple of guests on here today that are going to allow us to get a little bit deeper into what's going on in Australia. Some of the things that um, that's all talked about last week. So we're joined this morning by uh, Phil Markham and Doug Mile. Welcome, gentlemen under the show good morning tim good morning casey it's good to be here hey good morning thanks for having me hey doug you've been on the show before you and i interact um a pretty good bit at, at your work with the georgia chamber tell our audience a little bit about how you wound up in the u.s and the role that you're playing with the georgia chamber well, getting getting to Atlanta was courtesy of meeting my now wife when she was working in Sydney. So that was uh, the uh, the exciting part about my shift to the US. That was back in two thousand and seven. Um, so it's been a very enjoyable journey uh, along the way. I've got my US citizenship, so I'm now a dual citizen here. And a lot of the work I do with the Georgia Chamber is uh, revolves around helping them craft and manage their energy and natural resources policy development and interaction with legislators, people like yourself on the Public Service Commission and uh, generally representing industry and all the forums that uh, address those issues. So it's been a very exciting and very rewarding experience in the last uh, 12 or 13 years. And Phil, uh, tell us about uh, your journey to the U.S. Yeah, uh, thank you. I've been here about 10 years. Uh, actually came over here to study um, and met my wife here. So she's, she's a southerner uh, and we live, in, we live in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and yeah, 10 years later, four kids later. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good place for us. Well, it's great having you guys on because I, I do think, Casey, that you know, we need to learn as much as we can from other folks. I mean, we can get inside a little bubble or a tunnel. I mean, in Georgia, you know, we've got a lot of pine trees. We've got, uh, ha- have had a lot of coal plants. We've got some gas plants where we, you know, we've, we've made a lot of progress with solar. But I think seeing how other people 
do things and their approach to thing and things and how they've perfected it, lessons they've learned. Uh, that's that's helpful, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, we've talked on the show before about you know what Germany's done with their their energy vende, the, their energy transition, and the things that they've done well that we might want to replicate, and things that they haven't done so well that we might want to stay away from. And so, you know, that's the really fascinating part about looking at how you know different states certainly and different countries deal with their energy, both from a business and a technology standpoint, is that you can really figure out you know what's going to work here. What sorts of things do we not want to try? Because it's been tried and it's not going to work. And, um, you know, Australia really has been doing a, a lot around um, renewables. And, and uh, you know, we talked about that a little bit with, uh, with Saul last week and some of the, the really ambitious goals that they have around that. So, you know, for us to think about how do we continue the progress that we've made here in Georgia around solar, um, particularly, it, it's great to look to a country like Australia that's, you know, several years, if not a decade ahead of us in terms of development. Phil, why do you think Australia has been so successful with renewables? I mean, what is the secret sauce down there? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think... I think starting off, obviously, they've got a great solar resource. Um, I think that they're also just as a country that, you know, they're pretty progressive and open to trying new technologies. Um, you know, I think that uh, in terms of residential solar, I'm not, I'm not sure what you guys discussed on your, your show the other week, but, uh, you know, a lot of the buildings, high proportion of buildings are single family homes, high proportion of home ownership. Um, some very favorable uh, federal and state uh, incentives. Um, and I think, I think they've done a good job down there getting rid of some red tape. Uh, so uh, the cost uh, is actually quite low for, for a, uh, a solar system uh, down there on the residential side. So I think there's a lot of factors that, that are playing in there uh, to create a really uh, uh, strong residential solar market. Uh, and we could talk about the utility scale as well, I'm sure. Yeah, Phil, before we go there, Phil, could you uh, just talk a little bit more about uh, what kind of incentives are available for homeowners to put solar on their home and, and some of the things that Australia has done to eliminate the red tape? Because I know, you know, here in the U.S., we've got a lot of red tape around solar. And I'm you know happy to, to you know, get up on a soapbox about that. But let's hear about Australia first. Yeah, you, you know, I, I, honestly, I'm not an expert on that, uh, but I know that an electrician, you know, can install the system with, uh, you know, fairly minimum, uh, you know, red tape uh, in terms of the paperwork. Um, you know, honestly, I think a lot of the cost in the U.S. are the soft costs of sales, um, and and so when, you know, their electricity prices are also a little higher as well, so. You've got the the federal. There's a federal uh, tax incentive. Uh, originally, there were really high feed-in tariffs of, as well. Uh, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it was about sixty or seventy cents a kilowatt hour uh, a few years ago uh, to really bring that payback down. Uh, so I think you know there there are a lot of economies uh, helping out there. Um, I think the utilities have worked with the solar uh, installers to to kind of refine that process. So there's a lot of factors involved. Doug, let me come to you. Um, when I hear him say 60 or 70 cent for a feed-in tariff, I mean, Germany was 43 euro cent when they kind of kicked things off, you know, uh, at around 2000. And they got locked into those 20-year contracts at 43 euro cent. 
your ascent, I mean, 60 or 70 cent, I, I, I just, that's just baffling to me that, you know, they could enter into contracts like that. I sure hope it wasn't a lot of solar at that price. Well, that was a, a as, as Paul, uh, Phil said, that was a significant driver for the uptake of solar. Those 60 cent uh, tariffs have now been wound back and most of them range between about 10 to 12, 13 cents. So that was a big driver in, in getting people excited about solar and it really worked. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers now, I've just picked up some stats a little bit earlier today. As of the end of October this year, there are 2.59 million rooftop solar power systems and that's in a global population in the country of 25 million people so you know it's it, it's an attractive solution it, it paid big dividends up front so that got people excited and uh, it, it, while it's tailed off and there was a lot of angst when those uh, feed-in tariffs were wound back it hasn't had a, a deleterious effect on the ongoing uh, attractiveness and uptake of the of the uh, solar systems and for our listeners who aren't uh, familiar with this this terminology a feed-in tariff is basically just an amount that's guaranteed to solar system owners when they put their power back on the grid right guys yeah it, it's your, your payment for your excess tariff so during the middle of the day if you've uh, got a, a high-performing solar system and you're not home, the air conditioner is not on, then that, uh, that uh, resource is, is pumped back into the, uh, into the, uh, ne- into the network. And, and guys, I mean, in Georgia, we just haven't, we have not wanted to subsidize. And, and I've, I've got to think that their customers down there, I mean, you mentioned their electricity rates are high. I mean, you've got to, You've got to cover your costs somewhere. So uh, aren't the rest of the rate payers covering that huge feed-in tariff if these contracts were for 10, 15, or 20 years? Well, that was some of the, the pushback from the, uh, from the utilities. You know, uh, once it, it became apparent how popular these, these systems were and the, and the uptake was getting going, it, it started to reflect quite heavily on their financial performance. So... That led indeed to uh, a fair bit of angst in in that in that side of the uh, of this of the network, and was a large part, I believe, why the the tariffs ended up getting wound back. Phil, let me have you respond as well. You know, regarding regarding the subsidy and the burden that this was on, say, non-solar owners. Yeah. So let me let me get slightly philosophical. Um, you know. The temptation when you move to a new country is to, and a culture is to measure everything by uh, the culture that you're familiar with. And I think, you know, as you live in a new place, you appreciate uh, why it is, um, why people think the way they do and why certain practices are the way they are. Um, and, you know, I, I saw, uh, I follow the Australian Prime Minister on LinkedIn. And, I, you know, he, he must have a photographer that, that, that travels with him. And he posted a photo, uh, different photos of him throughout the day. And one of the photos was him standing there in a, in a blazer on his smartphone and in his boxer briefs. Okay. And so it is, Australia is a different, it's a different culture. I can't see too many American leaders um, posting that kind of um, photo, it, it's just a different society, a different culture. Hold that, ho- hold that thought. We're going to come back. We're going to bring you guys back, and we're going to, we're going to talk about boxers and briefs, I guess, uh, and, and solar and prime ministers and and the walkabout. 
the the ever famous walkabout. So stick around. We're going to bring Doug and Phil back, uh, and we're going to talk more about Australia and what they're doing down under. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. And she said, Do you come from a land down Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Uh, We're back. I'm your host of Energy Matters, my co-host, Casey Boyce. Casey, have you ever gone on a walkabout? Not in the way that Australians do. I think I shared on the uh, the show last weekend. I spent some time in the South Pacific and, and of course, ran into a, a number of Australians down there. And one of the things that, that I love about the culture is this idea of, of kind of doing this walkabout thing where you just you sell all your stuff and you go travel till the money's gone and then you come back and start your life over and do it again. So, I, you know, I don't know that, that everyone does that. Phil and Doug, you can talk about whether you've done it, but I ran into a number of folks that that were in the process of doing that. And it, it's just kind of a cool, cool cultural tradition, as you were saying, Phil, before the break, a little bit different than what we do. So, Phil, let me come to you, um, Phil Markham. Phil, did you do a walkabout? And do you do you have friends that, I mean, is this, is this a real thing down there? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of people will take, especially a, a gap year, they call it, after high school. Uh, so they'll uh, sit their, their exams, get a place uh, in college, and then defer it for a year or two uh, and go go travel. Uh, do a little bit of work and, and travel at the same time. So a really, really good way to, uh, to grow up a little bit and to, to see how big the world is. I wish I'd done it. I didn't do it. I, I would say my intention uh, coming to the U.S. Uh, about 10 years ago was somewhat of a walkabout. I came over here to study, but... Um, it, it was something like that. So it, it's been a good experience for me living in a different place and, and uh, maturing, I guess. <laughs> 
Yeah, Doug Mile with the Georgia Chamber. Doug, did you do a walkabout, and, and and is it still a real thing down there? Well, it absolutely is a real thing, and yes, I did. And like walk two terms in Australia that are a relative. One's walkabout, and the other one's outback. I grew up and lived on the edge of what I call the outback. So it was uh, in Western Australia on the, on the West Coast. We're inland right on the edge of what's called the wheat belt. So our horizon looking east inland was low rainfall pastoral country. And that, that was in its original state. Now, we did a lot of long weekend, you know, three or four day walkabouts, just camping out into there. I, I was lucky enough when I was fairly young to do a number of road trips across the Nullarbor Plain, which, as it, the word says, Nullarbor is nil arbor, no trees. So uh, that's, that's an experience. And uh, I've been around Australia a couple of times and I was, uh, or still am, a private pilot, used to own my own aeroplane. And I was lucky enough to have a job installing two-way satellite systems when that technology first came in. And I was in charge of a program putting that technology into some of the most remote um, cattle ranches, as you guys call them here in the US. We call them cattle stations and remote Aboriginal communities. And of course, as Phil said, my ultimate walkabout is packing my bags and my boxes and shifting to the US to start again. And, and the other thing that really helps the, the walkabout environment is Australia has a very generous annual leave program. Most people would get three or four weeks annual leave. So, you know, if you bank a little bit of that, it's not hard to be able to take off a good amount of time to go exploring. Don't forget long service leave as well. So True, you, yeah. uh, if you're with the same company or, or organization for 10 years, uh, you get something called long service leave, uh, which is what, Doug? It's usually a quarter, three or four months paid three or four uh, months, yeah. leave. Yeah, kind so. of like a sabbatical. Yes, yeah. 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 Hey, Casey, you remember we had uh, Juliet on our show from Israel. And I know when I was in Israel, one of the things I learned is about that gap year that a lot of Israeli young people take to go find the book. There's these books in different cities around the world where when people from Israel travel, they may go to uh, Berlin or they may go to San Francisco and there's a, a Jewish community there and they have this book of things you know, to see and do, and uh, it, it's very much within their community. And, and the walkabout sounds a lot like that. Phil, have you heard about the book, The Thing That Israelis Do? I haven't heard about that, uh, Tim, but something similar that Australia is a beneficiary of is is the backpacker culture. So a lot of uh, young, young kids taking their gap year, as Phil was talking about, coming and spending that in Australia, and they're a significant part of the casual workforce, especially in uh, fruit picking, vegetable picking uh, regions of Australia and agriculture. So, so we're on the receiving end of that, and they make a good contribution to a lot of casual work, waitresses and, and waiting in bars and hotels and restaurants and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and they, they bring a vibrant exposure to other cultures, to people who aren't fortunate enough to be able to leave our shores there. Phil, tell us a little bit about about your work and how folks can contact you, and because we want to make sure that uh, that our audience can follow up with you guys. Sure, yeah. So, I've uh, been in the industry about fifteen years. Started working for the Australian Energy Market Operator uh, down in down in Sydney after doing electrical engineering uh, and being with Southern Company uh, here in the US. Uh, obviously, headquartered in Atlanta uh, for about ten years. I lead our smart buildings research and development team. Um, and we have uh, lots of different projects, but two of our major ones are the Smart Neighborhood Projects, uh, one of which is in uh, at Atlanta, uh, Tim, which I know you're familiar with and I know you've supported. 
so we we're really the technical lead for that project um, and so yeah always always happy to share about that project and 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 some of the lessons we're trying to learn as we do that work let's stay there for a second Casey I don't know if you've had a chance to go out to that Pulte townhome development I was out there for the ribbon cutting batteries in the garage solar on the roof uh, a a, a circuit up there on that third floor that basically can be isolated in case of an outage that has a little TV, uh, its own little kind of hotel-like air condition that can be run with not much power, a refrigerator. Um, so, Phil, have, have you gotten some good feedback off of the, off of the project from the, the owners? Yeah, so, we, yeah, we have. And that, and that project, uh, everyone's not moved in totally yet it's 46 townhomes um you know and the way i like to think about that project is it's really a a small test pilot of what we think the the things are going to look like in the future um you know we're talking about australia um the south australian government is trying to do a virtual power plan is what they call it where they're helping subsidize about fifty thousand rooftop solar systems and batteries uh, to create a virtual power plant uh, there, um, you know, we're doing that obviously on a much smaller scale um, and trying to trying to learn. Okay, uh, how much uh, how much can you use those batteries to help the rest of the uh, the grid in Georgia? How much can you use it to uh, provide backup power uh, if there's a grid outage? Um, you know, how much can you use it to self-consume as much of the solar uh, uh, that, that's being produced there on the roof? So, yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, just working through all the technical issues uh, and, and hoping to start research uh, in earnest next year. Um, and, and the nice thing is as we, as we, you know, fail, and there's always failures when you're doing research projects, it's on a small scale. Um, I know that some of the utilities in Australia, AGL Energy, for example, have, have had huge uh, battery uh, pilots um, where they've had some to learn some hard lessons at a, at a much bigger scale than that. So we're all about uh, trying to learn um, at, at a good scale and, and trying to get ready to serve customers as uh, new technologies come down in price. So I know that there are a number of utilities that are, are currently working on these virtual power plant projects. Uh, uh, Arizona Public Service uh, out in Arizona has a, a neighborhood very similar to yours. It's kind of north of Phoenix that has batteries and rooftop solar on a lot of the homes. Uh, Rocky Mountain Power is doing one in Salt Lake City. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of promise around it. And I think people are really excited about it. Uh, you know, they see solar panels going up. They hear that it's getting relatively cheap. Batteries are coming down in price, although they still tend to be really uh, relatively expensive. Uh, so, so, Phil, what are some of the lessons that you guys have learned from from your project, uh, both here in Atlanta and the, the one in Birmingham? And as you look across to, you know, your homeland, right, uh, you know, what kinds of things do you see happening in Australia around these uh, virtual power plants that, um, you know, you mentioned the failures, like what, what don't you want to replicate here? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, for one thing, I respect, I, I love the boldness uh, and the and the brazenness and the adventurousness of the Australian spirit, and and I think you've seen that in in even in the energy sector, they've gone so hard after solar. It has caused some issues on the grid. So South Australia, uh, which has one in four homes with rooftop solar uh, and some large uh, wind farms, have had I think two or three major outages. Um, you guys will probably remember that Elon Musk made the famous bet after he became aware of some of those outages. Hey, I'll get you a hundred megawatt battery. Uh, on the ground in 100 days to fix your problem, and he, he actually did it. Um, and so, 
part of me really respects that that brazenness but you know do we want to uh risk uh, failures of that type with such an essential service um i would personally say no so i don't i don't want to replicate that kind of thing and i want our mistakes to be um uh small you know talking about the project in uh in alabama one thing that I didn't know because uh, this the project in Alabama actually has a microgrid that can power the community uh, if the if the kind of rest of the main grid grid has a power outage. One thing I didn't realize is, uh, and, and by the way, when I say microgrid for our listeners, that usually just means a you know maybe a solar array and a battery, maybe a generator that can um, power you know a neighborhood or or a building. Uh, we had some trouble being able to power the community um, for a long period, 12, 13, 14 days, unconnected to the grid. Uh, and I, I remember asking a, a power systems expert, you know, I thought, I thought microgrids have been around for, you know, 50 years powering remote mining operations. You know, why, why are we having some trouble here? And, uh, and actually come to find out that, you know, when the microgrid is, is powering something completely separate to the grid 100% of the time, no worries, that technology's been there for a long time. If it's always kind of grid tied, so all, most of the, the solar that's on the grid today, the residential solar, um, a lot of people don't realize is if the, if the actual grid goes down, uh, the homeowner can't power their house. Stick around, I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce here with your host, Tim Eccles, and joined today by two Native Australians who have taken up residence here in the Southeast, Phil Markham and Doug Mile. 
Welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you very much. Phil, just before the break, we were talking about microgrids and you were talking about some of your experience with a a project. You work for Southern Company, uh, one of the projects in Birmingham where you've got uh, a microgrid, basically, you know, uh, batteries and solar that's powering a a small neighborhood. And and you were sharing some of the the challenges there. Um, Can you just kind of briefly summarize, uh, you know, what what you saw and what you learned from that? Yeah, thanks. We we learned that uh, if the microgrid is uh, is is normally connected to the rest of the system, uh, but has to be able to uh, power the community. If you do lo- lose the rest of the grid, that actually there's not too many of those systems out there in the world, and we had to work through some bugs. We had to change out a transformer, and um, and so we, we had to work through some bugs there to be able to power that community. You know, through say a long term outage like two weeks. So. Um, you think that you think the technology has been around for a long time, powering remote mining sites and things like that. But actually, when it's normally connected to the grid and then has to uh, be the grid, so to speak, for a long time, that's actually fairly new. So we, we worked out some bugs and we finally got there. Excellent. And uh, I mean, it sounds like this is something that Australia's had to deal with, too. Like there there was a, a blog that I read recently from the uh, Smart Electric Power uh, Alliance. Uh, about a battery storage system that's been installed in South Australia that allows for uh, microgridding, basically a, a kind of part of their territory, but also connects to the grid and facilitates some transmission of renewable generation. And, and you guys have talked about the, you know, the tremendous amount of wind and solar that Australia has built and that causing problems sometimes. Um, so I, I'm guessing that, you know, with that, um, you know, large generation, these batteries, you know, Phil, you referenced Elon Musk's uh, battery down there, that they're learning how to do some of these things in terms of isolating from the rest of the grid and then reconnecting. Right. Do you know the name of that project, Casey? Yeah, that is the, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the Dalrymple ESCRI dot sa battery project um and it's uh it's owned by electronet uh there in in south australia yeah so i think you know i think the 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 headline there is um a high high penetration of renewables uh means that there may be some speed bumps uh but energy storage you know is is proving to be a pretty good solution with uh some smart power system engineers being able to coordinate the production and controls and make sure everything switches over. So, And Doug, as you reflect on what you've seen and, and learned from Australia and, and your work here in Georgia with the Georgia Chamber, what kinds of lessons do you feel like we can bring over to help support what we're doing here in this state? Well, I think the big the big thing there is, is picking up on what Phil was talking about on microgrids is even at the other end of the scale, nothing is impossible. And there's Two or three large battery projects that are being run. One is a, a 300 uh, megawatt Tesla battery that's being installed down in Melbourne for the same thing, you know, capturing some of these solar resources uh, during peak or off peak times. There's a battery of the nation project where in the state of Tasmania, which is down to the south of Australia, a lot of hydro resources there. They're expanding hydro and pumped hydro, and that power will be delivered via undersea cable into the national grid. Now, there's already one cable there. That'll be expanded. Our The jewel in our crown of hydro, the Snowy Hydro Scheme, about halfway roughly between Sydney and Melbourne, that's going to be expanded. There's, currently, it's about a 4,000 megawatt facility. It's going to have another 2,000 
megawatts of uh, capacity put into there, you know, a, an enormous underground tunnel, 350,000 hours, I believe, of um, energy storage, the megawatt hours of, of storage in, in the water, pumped hydro, the whole thing. So you can be aggressive, you just got to, you, you know, and when you look at Australia, it's, it's a country the size of the US, roughly, with 25 million people, 60% of those living in six, five or six capital cities. So, you know, we've we figured out how to use valuable resources, distribute it around, bring in technology, and, and, and really you, you've got to put your toe in the water and be brave enough to try these sort of things, recognising you'll, uh, you'll stub your toe occasionally, but when you get it right and it works, it really delivers some great outcomes. And Doug, you talked about pump hydro there. Can, can you just briefly describe for our listeners what that is? Because it's a really cool technology making use of, of kind of old school uh, dams. Sure. Well, what it is, is, is you've got a, a storage at elevation. The water is released from that storage through pipes into generation units. That generates the first hydro power. And then the, once the water has gone through those generations, it, it's captured in a pond. And then later in the night, uh, typically when there's a lot of uh, off-peak coal baseload power is just running and not being used, that cheap energy is then used to pump that water back up again into the, into the surface, into the original reservoir. So that's one form of pumped hydro. The other one is simply using high flows in a river like the Chattahoochee here in Georgia, and as will be proposed, taking it out of the river and putting it into, say, the East Lakes Quarry or um, a facility like that. So you skim that high flow off, you capture the resource, and then you can also use that for hydro. So there's different different ways of using it. But it, it's, as I say, it's old school, but it works and it's efficient. And, you know, I think here in Georgia, as I have in Australia, we need to explore the full availability of that resource because it is, it's a renewable resource, it's clean, and it's pretty easy to, uh, to construct and get going. Yeah, so I don't know that a lot of folks know this, but you know, one of the first uh, generation um, investments that Southern Company made, uh, both in Georgia Power and Alabama Power, was in hydro. And we, they still operate a lot of dams up in, in North Georgia primarily, but, but not exclusively. And you know, Tim, as you and, and your fellow commissioners are thinking about you know, the energy mix going forward and, and the need to integrate um, you know, variable renewables on the grid. I mean, are you guys thinking about pumped hydro and maybe making use of, of some of those resources in the same way that, that Australia is? Well, the dams that Georgia Power operates in the last uh, integrated resource planning that we did in the summer of 2019, we did upgrade or provided, you know, essentially the recovery of the money to be able to upgrade a lot of those, uh, a lot of those turbines. So there was, um, you know, uh, from an economic standpoint, uh, it wasn't the greatest deal in the world. Um, and because the river flow, the river flows that we have, they're just, you know, they're they're not substantial. I mean, to generate 6,000 megawatts of energy on pump storage, I, I can't imagine us being able to, you know, to, to really pull off something like that here. Um, so I just... You know, with with droughts that we have, Casey, and and then you know not being able to rely on that, uh, it just it, it, to me, it's a little bit risky. 
Interesting. Well, I, I do have a recommendation for our listeners. If you're ever up in uh, North Georgia uh, at Tallulah Gorge, um, go stop by the Visitor Center. They've got a really cool exhibit there talking about the the dam and um, the hydropower that was generated there back in the, the early uh, 20th century. So uh, nice side trip if you're up there. And, and Casey, and just, just on that, just a little bit closer to home, just over my uh, neighborhood here is Morgan Falls Reservoir, right in the middle of... Uh, of uh, Roswell Sandy Springs there on the Chattahoochee. That was, I think it's over 100 years old now. So there's a hydro uh, facility right in the middle of Atlanta that I believe was first constructed to provide uh, electricity for uh, streetcars in downtown Atlanta. So uh, you don't even have to venture out of out of the city to be able to hop in and uh, have a look at what uh, hydro looks like. Phil, I mean, working for Southern Company, I mean, Southern's got, obviously, you know, uh, Alabama Power, Mississippi Power. They did own Gulf Power. I mean, we've got, you know, these run of lakes up in North Georgia. Do you see pump storage uh, in any of the other uh, states that Southern operates in? You know, I I, I think that in terms of the scale uh, of storage uh, that you would need and the and type of geography you'd need, I'm not sure. I, I know that it'd be a very hard, um, you know, development to, to really get off the ground. A lot of stakeholders would need to be involved. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not an expert in that area. Uh, I think there are some geographies you could look at, but do you want to use those for, uh, you know, flood, you know, potentially flood them, uh, and, and use that resource. I think, you know, talking about Georgia, um, we've got a great solar resource. Uh, and one thing that Georgia has uh, that Australia doesn't have is a, is a really strong transmission system. So uh, I am pretty familiar with the utility scale solar sector in Australia. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the sites are being curtailed. The transmission system uh, is is kind of struggling with the amount of uh, solar that's kind of come on to the system quite quickly. Uh, so I think one thing that excites me uh, about Georgia is pretty strong transmission system relative to Australia and a, and a really good solar resource as well. Yeah, when we come back, I want I know there's this connection between the UK and Australia and Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister from the UK, recently has. Uh, has released uh, his ambitious 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution. Uh, and, and I want us to talk about the 10 things that, he, that he's got in his list. Uh, offshore wind, hydrogen, nuclear energy, electric vehicles, public transport, jet, jet zero and greener maritime, uh, homes and public buildings, carbon capture, nature, innovation, and finance. So, I want to get y'all's opinion on that in regard to, you know, how that looks maybe in Australia, how that might look here in the U.S. So stick around. We'll be back for one more segment uh, with our Australians, uh, Doug and Phil. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. 
Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at Better Tomorrow Solar. That's bettertomorrowsolar.com and see how you make your world better. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back for one more segment with our favorite Australians, Doug Mile, Phil Markham. Guys, so great to have you on the on the show today. Casey Boyce, my regular co-host. Second week in a row we're talking to Australians, Casey. I know. You can't get away from down under. Yeah. Hey, uh, I promised at the end of the last segment that we were going to talk about Boris Johnson, which uh, he's the prime minister in the UK, his ambitious 10-point plan for the Green Industrial Revolution, uh, which uh, is supposed to let the UK forge ahead with you know with their, with their goals by 2050. And I want to just take each of these 10, and this is going to be a lightning round, uh, and we're going to get Phil and Doug to comment uh, on each one of them, as well as Casey and me. So let's dive into this. Uh, Casey, uh, his first thing is offshore wind. And I, I guess I want to start with Phil on that. Phil, are you you bullish on offshore wind? Do you feel like it's an Australian thing? Is it a, U, a U.S. thing? Yeah, I mean, even if, if you've got the resource, uh, then then and it makes uh, cost sense, do it. Obviously, Australia has a lot of lot of land, and they're still doing some offshore wind. Uh, it seems like we've got a, a good offshore resource off the coast of Georgia, is, is what I hear. So I, I like it if it makes sense. Casey, he's uh, Boris Johnson saying they're going to produce up to forty gigawatts by two thousand thirty. Is it realistic? Yeah, I think probably. Probably for them. I mean, the, the, the thing to think about is the geography here, right? What Britain does not have that we have in the U.S. and that Australia has uh, a lot of is wide open spaces where you get a lot of wind coming through. So we can do a lot in the, the plain states and, and onshore wind. Um, you know, they don't really have that in the same way. So, yeah, if we've got resources that work offshore, great. But we've got a lot of great resources onshore that we can tap to. Well, his uh, second uh, and his is Boris Johnson's second goal is hydrogen, and it's kind of a shiny object. Uh, he's talking about five gigawatts of low-carbon hydrogen production. Doug, let me go to you. It's Is this popped up on the chamber, uh, Georgia chamber, where you work, their radar yet? It has. It's just one of those low, you know, over-the-horizon technologies. Again, I think there's a lot of work to be done on it. Green green hydrogen pumping in the excess uh, renewables when demand for that output is low. It, it's part of the future. It's got a lot of challenges, but I think for uh, for some of our transportation needs, it, 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 it'll be a good solution, but long term. So, Doug, Tim, I, I, I hate to say this, but 
hydrogen's been over the horizon for quite a while now. I remember 30 years ago reading about hydrogen being being the next big thing, and, and we're not there yet. So, I, you know, I do think that hydrogen has a role, but it's going to be much more specialized and niche um, rather than something that completely transforms how we transport energy. But, but 30 years ago, solar was probably spoken of in exactly the same terms. So we're going to keep an open mind about hydrogen, I think. All right. <laughs> love it. We'll revisit in 30 years. How about that? <laughs> well, nuclear power is the third one. And he's uh, he's not giving any specific goals, Boris Johnson uh, from the UK. He does talk about supporting 10,000 jobs. I mean, Plan Vogel had 8,000 construction jobs at one time. We're obviously paring those down. Phil, uh, you know, Plan Vogel is going to be the pride of the fleet. Yeah, I mean, great, clean technology. Uh, the new technology is safe. I think Australia uh, needs to look at it uh, if they want to want to have a clean uh, uh, fleet of different generation options. They should consider uh, nuclear. Right now, it's a political non-starter. Yeah, KC uh, small adva- and advanced reactors. You think they have a future? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm keeping an open mind on advanced. Uh, reactors and small modular reactors. I still think they've got a lot uh, to do to prove themselves, but uh, they certainly make, uh, at least in theory, a lot more sense than kind of the large plant Vogel style uh, generation that we've been building that that seems to cost more the more we build of it. Number four is public transport, cycling and walking. And this show comes uh, to you uh, via Athens, Georgia, a huge biking town. Doug, you're a biker. You, you love it, right? And you'd love to see better bike trails. Oh, absolutely. I Back in Australia, I used to do up to 100 mile a, a week and do some long uh, cross-country trips on, on the bike. So, love it. Not so keen in Atlanta with the traffic. It's just there's not the awareness of uh, cyclists on the road that I'd like to see. Love my martyr. I do a lot of work downtown at the capital when it's in session and uh, martyr's the way to get there. So, the more the merrier. Yeah, Casey, you live on the, the Marta line out in Decatur. I mean, cycling is dangerous to Doug's point. Yeah, you know, I, I used to do a lot of bike commuting and, um, you know, younger days when I was not as afraid uh, as maybe I am these days or maybe didn't have as much to lose. But, you know, Decatur's invested a lot in bike and walking infrastructure, and it's actually quite a pleasant way to get around town, um, at, at least here, you know, maybe not in Sandy Springs uh, or, or elsewhere, but uh, it can be done. Boris Johnson's 10 ambitious uh, green energy ideas here. The next one is electric vehicles. And Phil, uh, you drive a Nissan Leaf. You like EVs? I love EVs. Uh, I, it does me fine around around town here. Uh, you know, I think the the cost um, the cost parity uh, with um, gasoline cars is is quickly approaching. So I think you know we're only going to see increasing adoption. Casey, uh, you're you're a huge EV e- fan. You're you're a two EV family. I, I am indeed. Yeah, and you know, the, this is another one of those where geography does matter, right? I mean, both in the U.S. and Australia, big long distances, people travel uh, a long ways with EVs. Um, you know, two hundred miles is a long trip in the U.K. Um, so for us, you know, big batteries, really good charging infrastructure is really critical for EV adoption. It's a little bit easier, relatively easier, I would say, to do in a, a more compact country like the UK. And Boris is saying they're going to end the sale of new uh, gas and diesel vehicle vans and cars by 2030. Casey, that just seems that just seems a bit drastic. 
Yeah, well, we got to do something about this climate. Number six, jet zero and greener maritime. Um, you know, Doug, you you are, you know, a big fan of the port. Do you ever see us being able to have container ships that run on something other than diesel? I, I do, and probably there I'd revert back to hydrogen perhaps for that solution with, with all the solutions and the technology that we see at the at the moment, uh, and talking about aviation, there is a, a company here in Georgia uh, making uh, algae that that is an Australian company. So perhaps there's other ways of getting around the traditional jet fuel, but I don't know about electric aeroplanes in the uh, commuter sense. I think we're a ways away from that technology yet. Casey, you going to be a frequent flyer on electric airplanes? I'm certainly looking forward to my first flight in on an electric airplane, but I, I think for commercial use, um, at least for the you know the kind like Delta flies, uh, it's probably a couple decades away would be my guess. Yeah, seven thirty-seven max, fifteen uh, percent <laughs> fuel savings. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know when I'm going to get on a seven thirty-seven max. Number seven. Yeah, me either. <laughs> homes in public buildings. Uh, he wants to make home schools, hospitals greener, warmer, more energy efficient creating 50,000 jobs by 2030 and, uh, and, and installing 600,000 heat pumps every year by 2028. Uh, Phil, that's ambitious. Yeah, it is. It's going to uh, mean that uh, the electricity system is powering more and more um, energy sources. And uh, I think you know, huge opportunity uh, for energy efficiency programs uh, to, to, you know, something, Tim, we've been engaged on previously, uh, some flexible load programs would help that as well uh, to, to keep the cost of the grid down. Uh, but yeah, huge opportunity to use energy more efficiently and, and do some retrofits. It's always a good place to start. And Tim, if I could jump in yeah. there, I think that's a good one to give the ordinary consumer ownership of, of this whole new energy energy efficiency because it it's in the home you know they, they can feel it they can live it and they can touch it and i think that's uh, that's part of the conversion of a lot of the naysayers casey quickly uh homes and public buildings i know you're a big uh heat pump guy yeah, well, you know, our guest last week argued that you don't really need to do that. You just need to put, um, you know, lots of renewables on the grid. But I, I think, you know, we've talked about it on the show before. Doing energy efficiency makes homes more comfortable, healthier. There's a lot of other benefits, too. Yep. Number eight, um, carbon capture. They want to be the world leader in technology to capture and store carbon. Um, Phil, you guys tried this at Kemper. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a great experiment. It's, t- it's harder than it looks, isn't it? Yeah, it's difficult. I, I think that uh, there are some, some technologies, uh, you know, direct air capture, just literally sucking uh, air uh, and, and cleaning it uh, is being looked at. If, if they can get the price down and it, it makes sense, I'd, I'd be for it. Um, you could also plant more trees. Uh, some, there's some other options as well. And you know, number nine is planting 30,000 hectares of trees every year. Doug, you're a big outdoor guy? Absolutely. I mean, this gets into one of my favorite topics now, ecosystem services. You know, planting trees to clean the air, to help uh, filter the water and, and, and improve the soil. So, And it also feeds into uh, you develop uh, ecosystem services credits. You've got a revenue stream. So for our clients and, and friends in, in uh, rural Georgia and agriculture, this is, this is a way for them to participate uh, in, in their existing businesses. So uh, yeah, nature's a big part of the solutions for sure. 
Casey, number 10 is innovation and finance, developing Boris's Boris Johnson, developing the cutting edge technology needed to reach these new energy ambitions and make the city of London the global center of green finance. It sounds ambitious. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked already about some of the innovation that uh, is needed to do some of these other things that they want to do in the UK. But for me, figuring out finance and the business models really critical for unlocking the potential of any of these things. So, you know, whether it's a pilot project that, you know, Southern Company is doing or whether it's some of the, you know, battery storage systems that we talked about earlier on the show that's happening in Australia, um, getting the business model right, um, getting the financing right, really, really important. Well, it's great having these guys on the show today, Phil and Doug and Casey, uh, as always, appreciate your uh, your being the co-host. I'm Tim Eccles. I hope you've learned a little something today, and I hope you have a fantastic weekend. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everyone. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call? Yep, that sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it.